uh, go to the first epistle of John. Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st John. And the fifth chapter of 1st John. And we're going to read verse 13. John said, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue in believing in the name of the Son of God. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. There are many, many sincere people who are devoted to their particular religion, but have absolutely no assurance whatsoever of eternal life. In their sincerity, they believe that their works or their desire to please God, whoever their God may be that they worship, that somehow, perhaps, maybe, if they work hard enough, or if they're counted worthy, uh, that they could possibly, maybe, make it into heaven. But clearly, God wants man to know for sure. I write these things unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life. Now, sometimes a Christian loses that sense of assurance that they had of eternal life, either through apathy or neglect or doubts come in or the devil whispers in their ear or situations in life overwhelm them for a while and, and temporarily they may lose that sense of assurance that they are born again, that they have got eternal life and if they were to die that they would go to heaven. Now, the Bible makes it absolutely clear, abundantly clear, that we can for sure know that we have eternal life, that we can have a full assurance of faith, that we can know beyond any shadow of a doubt whatsoever that we have eternal life and that we are going to heaven. Now, what are the proofs? What are the evidences that we have that we might know that we have eternal life, that we have passed from death unto life, from darkness unto light. What are the evidences, the proofs? First of all, there is the witness of the Holy Spirit. 1 John 3.24 By this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Then in 1 John 4.13, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. John writes that twice, so that we will absolutely know that the Holy Spirit will witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. That's what Paul says. And then in Romans 8.9, he says, now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So we either have the Spirit or we don't have the Spirit. 
And if we have the Spirit, the Spirit will witness that we are the children of God. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, I don't know how that works. It's supernatural. It's not something that we can grasp mentally. Something that we accept by faith and we know it in our hearts in the very depth of our being that the Holy Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are the sons of God. In John chapter 16, verse 12, Jesus speaking to his disciples said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said, he, the Holy Spirit, will take of mine and declare it unto you. In chapter 14 of John, just across the page, Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. And so here is the marvelous, mysterious working of the Holy Spirit within the life of every single believer. That he comes and he takes up residence within our hearts and he witnesses to us that we are the children of God. Now here is the reality. Without the Holy Spirit, this book, the Bible, would be a dead book to us. It may be a historic reference it may be poetical in places, but that's all it would be. But because we have the Holy Spirit and because He resides within us as believers, then this book is the Word of God to us. It's not the Word of God to the world out there. They laugh at it. They mock it. But to us, it is the Word of God. And it speaks to us. And it guides us. And it guards us. And it blesses us. And it challenges us. Because the Holy Spirit takes this word and he speaks to us through it. And so the Holy Spirit impresses upon our hearts the truth of God's word. He impresses upon our hearts that Jesus is the Son of God. Now you understand that a lot of people doesn't believe that. A lot of people believe he was a good man. They believe perhaps he was a prophet or just an historic figure. Some believe he's a deluded man. Some think that he had a messianic complex, but he's just an ordinary man. It all went to his head. All kinds of statements about Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is the one who causes us to believe that he is the Son of God. There's no doubt about it in our hearts. We know that as a fact. How do we know that as a fact? Because the Holy Spirit has made that clear to us. And this is part of the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. 
He witnesses truth to us. Thank God for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? We would be absolutely dead in trespasses and sins if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. The fact that He came and He wooed us and He won us to Christ. The fact that He's the agent of the new birth and it causes us to be born again from above. Opens up God's Word to us, leads us and guides us. The ministry of the Holy Spirit for every single believer. So thank God for the witness of the Holy Spirit. And then what about other signs of this new life that we have in Christ? If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. All things become new. There is a change comes into our lives whenever we're born again. It's inevitable. If there's no change, we're not born again. Simple. But once the Holy Spirit comes and resides, then things begin to change. First of all, there is the desire to fellowship with God and with God's people. There is a desire to fellowship. Now, I don't know about you, but before you get saved, I had no interest in going to church. None whatsoever. And my guess is that maybe you were the same. Now, there are many people, of course, who are not believers, and they have an interest in going to church. And they like the religious part of it all. But I hadn't. And many of you hadn't. But once I became born again, all of that changed in an instant. I wanted to be in the house of God. And it wasn't just because, I mean, when I got saved, certainly I wasn't a preacher, I wasn't a minister, I wasn't anything, I was just a born-again believer. But my immediate reaction was, I want to be in God's house. I remember working night shifts at the time uh, and going to church on Sunday night, particularly on night shift. You go to work on Sunday, uh, church on Sunday night, and at 11 o'clock you're in to work. And it was wonderful. Never have thought of missing uh, a church on a Sunday night because I was going to work that night. In fact, it helped me through that night. It was great. The desire to fellowship with God and with God's people. First John chapter 1. Verse 1, that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Lord Jesus, isn't he? That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message that we have heard from Him and declare to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you notice how many times you see the interaction here between fellowshipping with the Father and fellowshipping with the Son and fellowshipping with each other? It goes together. God has made it that way. This is part of the reason for church because every believer when they come together on earth are the body of Christ, the mystical body of Christ on earth. The head is in heaven, the body is in earth. 
And so when we come together and worship together, that's God's order. That's what God wants. It's beneficial to us, and it glorifies God. I can't understand for the life of me why a Christian wouldn't want to be in church. We want to be with God's people, and we want to be around God's people. Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Now, I understand that sometimes in church life, people get hurt. I understand that. Sometimes bad things happen even among Christians. And sometimes a Christian will get disillusioned or become a little bit cynical. And for a while, they'll back off church. They'll say, well, if that's what church is like. I don't want anything to do with it. But there comes a point in your life when that has got to stop. When they've got to say, I'm a born-again believer, and I need to worship with the people of God. You say, well, can't you do that on your own? Well, not really. This is, this is why God has called us a body. And Paul identifies us as a body in every joint supplies. There's a purpose for every part of the body. And a body split up is not much good, is it? It has to be together. It has to be whole. Desire to fellowship with God's people. In Psalm 92 in Psalm 92 and verse 12 it says the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God those who are planted are you planted If we're planted in the house of God, the promise is that we shall flourish in the courts of God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Isn't that a good promise? Even enter old age, there'll be something fresh and flourishing spiritually about us. I love to see old saints, and I mean old saints, and they're still on fire for God. They love the Lord. They love the house of God. They love the presence of God. They love the word of God. That's the way that it's supposed to be. Psalm 122. In verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. The desire to fellowship with God and with God's people. In 1 John 4. <clears throat> And verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And this, the love of God was manifested toward us. Sorry, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us. That God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. 
And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Part of the reason why God raised up church and why he wants us to be part of church is that we mature and that all the spiritual things in us is challenged to grow and to mature. And there's no greater challenge than to love one another. Sure there's not. It's not the greatest challenge because sometimes with the best will in the world, we rub each other up, don't we? I mean, sometimes we get on each other's goats, as we say. It's just human nature. But we're challenged in spite of all of that because we come together to love one another in spite of all our faults and all our feelings, just to love one another as Christ has loved us. So there is a desire to fellowship with God and to fellowship with God's people. And then there is the desire to be obedient to God. Now we may feel in our attempts, sometimes sin blocks our path, but we have a desire, a propensity to be obedient to God, to serve the Lord. Sometimes the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But our desire should be, and if we are born again of His Spirit, will be to be obedient uh, to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, He died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. 2 Corinthians 5.9 Therefore we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him. One of the telltale signs that your life has changed, that you're born again of the Spirit, is that you want to obey the Lord. You don't want to live in disobedience. You don't want to be a rebel against God. You want to serve the Lord. You want to be obedient to Him. I was reading a little article earlier today. I'll read it to you. It's a lady called Aretha Loving. She was a Wycliffe missionary. She was washing her breakfast dishes when she saw Jimmy, the five-year-old neighbor, headed straight towards the back porch. Now, she had just finished painting the back porch handrails, and she was proud of her work. Come around the front door, Jimmy, she shouted. There's wet paint on the porch rails. I'll be careful, Jimmy replied, not turning from his path. No, Jimmy, don't come up the steps, Aretta shouted, knowing Jimmy's tendency to mess things up. I'll be careful, he said again, by now dangerously close to the steps. Jimmy, stop, Aretta shouted. I don't want carefulness, I want obedience. (laughs) And as the words burst from her mouth, she suddenly remembered Samuel's response to King Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. How would Jimmy respond? Aretta wondered. To her relief, he shouted back, All right, loving I'll go around to the front door. He was the only one who called her by her last name like that and it endeared uh, endeared him to her from the beginning. And as he turned around the house, Aretta thought to herself, how often am I like Saul or like Jimmy 
wanting to go my own way, I rationalize, I'll be careful, Lord, as I proceed with my own plans. But he doesn't want carefulness. He wants obedience. Hmm. And that's what he desires from us. And that's one of the reasons you'll know that you're truly born again, because in your heart of hearts, you will want to obey God. You will not want to rebel against him. And then the desire to live righteously. The desire to deny ourselves and take up our cross and to follow him. To shun the world and to live our lives in the light of eternity. The desire to live righteously. Or the desire to live right, could I say. If that desire is in your heart, God put it there. God put it there. And the Holy Spirit will help you to live righteously. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes here, and he says in verse 19, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And that you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Peter says, we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the vain tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot or without blemish. We are not our own. We do not belong to ourselves. We belong to him. And the sooner we realize that, the better. To be able to live righteously for him. To say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to be, wherever you want me to go, I'm willing. I want to do it. You'll know your life has changed when you do that. That's a powerful prayer, by the way. And when you pray that prayer, you've got to be able to stand up to it because he just might challenge you on it. Then we have the desire to confess Christ, to publicly own Jesus as Lord. Now, this is an important thing for every born-again believer. He doesn't want secret disciples. He doesn't want people who never opens their trap. He wants you to own publicly his son. That's what God wants. And why shouldn't we? People publicly confess everything in this life, don't they? So why shouldn't a believer publicly confess their faith in Jesus Christ? That's our testimony. That's what we're to do. In 1 John 4, 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. To be born again, you have to believe in your heart that Christ has rose again from the dead. And you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Romans 10, 9. Those two things. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Everybody and anybody over the years that I have led to the Lord, the first thing I've said afterwards is this. Tell somebody. Go and tell somebody. 
And the quicker you tell them, the better. <laughs> I remember the night I got saved. And the next night was a Sunday night, and I was working shifts, the night shift. And I remember going into that factory, born again, knew it, knew that there were some Christians in there, and I said, well, the first person I'll tell is a believer. That'll be easy, because I know they'll be delighted. But I never got the chance. Because immediately, within two minutes of me stepping onto that floor, a guy came over, and he's about to tell me something that I knew from now on that I didn't want to hear, and I stopped him. Remember, his name was Angus. I says, Angus, I'm going to tell you something. I says, stop right there. I don't want to hear it. And he looked at me. I says, I got saved last night. Became a Christian last night. And he looked all around. He says, my wife's a believer. <laughs> now, I never knew that. <laughs> never, ever told me that before. Fair play to you, he said. So that within two minutes, it was out in the open. And then within 15 minutes, I thought the whole factory knows. <laughs> and the word began to spread. But you got to nail your colors to the mast immediately. And own Christ and profess him. Somebody says, well, it's a personal thing. It may be personal, but it's not private. Did you hear me? Of course it's a personal thing. Personally, know Christ now. It's not private. It's to share. It's to tell others. I'm sure all of us in here, certainly of a certain age, at some time or other has used a Pentel pen. Anybody in here use a Pentel pen? That's six of you. The rest of you must use pencils then. Pentel pens, many years ago, when they first came to America, within one year, they're Japanese, by the way, within one year, they had sold just under two million in one year and it was hardly even ever advertised. It wasn't in TV, it wasn't in newspapers, it wasn't in magazines. You know how it caught on? Word of mouth. Once people started to write with them, remember you're going back a few years, these was the greatest thing. Once people started to write with a Pentel pen, they thought, this is wonderful, this is a great writer. And they would tell their friend, and they'd tell their loved ones, and they'd tell their business partner, tell their office workers, and within a year, almost two million pens were sold simply by word of mouth. It was so good, people wanted to share it. If Christians were like that. <laughs> Do you know every single atom, every single atom can act with every other atom, but only if it acts with the atom beside it. It's the only way. It has to touch the atom beside it. And then it touches the atom beside it. And that's how it works. And so, if you share that you are a believer, and you get the opportunity just to stand up for Christ, you never know who you might impact. You never know whose life you may change. Just for the fact that you were bold enough and you didn't hide your light under a bushel. 
How serious is it? Matthew 10. Jesus tells us how serious it is. Matthew 10, verse 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. That's a sobering verse, isn't it? Jesus wants us to confess him. So that's one of the signs that you'll know that your life has changed because you will have a desire to confess Christ. And then you'll have a desire to reach the lost. Mm. The desire to reach the lost. Acts 1 and 8, You shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The desire to reach the lost. What is your Jerusalem? It's maybe your family. It's maybe your loved ones. Say, David, are they not the hardest to reach? Not always. Not always. Look at it this way. You're the one that has lived the life before them. You're the one that has walked straight before them. Who better to share with them than you? Who would they have more confidence in than you? Who have they seen more of than you? Whose lifestyle have they observed more than you? So therefore, you should be the one to tell them. Say, David, it's not easy. What have you got to lose? They can only say yes or no. <laughs> I mean, us living in this country, we get it easy. It's not going to cost you. Your family's not going to kick you out. It's not going to cost you your job or your life. They may just say, no, sorry, not interested. Or they may say, do you know what? I've been thinking about that. I've been wondering about those things. And you just might be the one that could reach that family member. What about your workmates? Say, David, if you knew my workmates, if you knew what they were like, well, I do know what they're like because I used to work with them. Not yours, but mine. I never know different than yours. But I've told you many, many times when they're in trouble and the crunch comes and the need is great, you might be the one that will look out. So, is there a desire in your heart to reach the lost? A loved one, a workmate, a neighbor, somebody in some other country. Say, David, it's a lot easier going to some other country where nobody knows you. Well, I suppose that is true. But the chances are, if you have no desire to do it at home, you'll probably not want to do it anywhere else anyway. 
But when you start where you are, among those you work with, among those you live with, among those you live beside, if you start where you are, you'll find that God will give you the grace and He'll give you the strength and He'll give you the help. He'll give you the scriptures. He just wants a willing vessel to be able to reach out to the lost. Say, David, I've talked to my family. Can't talk to them anymore. Fair enough. But you can still pray for them, can't you? You don't give up praying for them because maybe God will send somebody else across their path. Very often he does that, doesn't he? You know, you've talked and you've witnessed and you've shared. They haven't listened. At least looks like they haven't listened. You get to the point you say, well, I can say no more. I've done it all, but I can still pray. And then lo and behold, God sends somebody else across their path to pick up where you left off because he loves them and he wants to give them every opportunity to come to him. So you've got to have the desire just to reach the lost. The desire to love others as Christ has loved them. Is it possible to love others as Christ loved them without being concerned about their great spiritual need? I don't think so. Because that was the thing Christ was interested in. Their great spiritual need. Sometimes when you sit down and think, particularly your family, and they're not saved, and you think where they're heading, you think of their future. Sometimes when you do that, you begin to realize that's the most important thing for that loved one to come to Christ. The most important thing. And so while you may be concerned about many other things in our life, but we cannot be concerned less about that. We have to have that desire to reach out. Born again believer tonight, there's a witness in your spirit that you're born again. And because you are born again, there'll be other signs that will come out as you go along. You'll find yourself maybe getting burdened for somebody. Maybe somebody you work with. Holy Spirit will put it upon your heart to pray for them. You'll find a desire and a burden to win them, to see them come to Christ or come to the house of God. That will rise up in your heart. That's the Holy Spirit. Don't suppress it. Don't put it down. Follow that. Do that. Share with them. Invite them. Do something. Because the Holy Spirit may be the one that's going to use you to win them. Somebody had to win us, didn't they? Somebody prayed for us. Somebody came to us. Somebody talked to us. Somebody witnessed us. Somebody shared with us. That was the Holy Spirit trying to win us. And somebody was brave enough to speak to us. And we listened. Eventually, we listened. And the Holy Spirit took those words, put them in our hearts, moved upon our hearts and then drew us to Christ. And that's why we're here tonight as believers, isn't it? Because the Holy Spirit did a work. Let's pray. Lord, we're here in this life for a purpose. You have a plan for us. And Lord, you want to bless us. You want to prosper lives. You want to take us to heaven at the end of it. But Lord, you want us in the midst of this dark world 
to be shining lights for you. You want us to have a living testimony of your goodness that others may see and desire. So, Lord, help us by your Holy Spirit tonight. Help us, Lord, to be able to shine that light, to reach others for Christ, to share word and season, and to be able to draw them to the Savior. So we give you thanks for the Holy Spirit who is in our hearts tonight. We thank you for his gracious work that he does. And we thank you for the strength that he gives us, for the energy and life that he puts within us to live as believers. We bless you for that. We're grateful, Lord, for your mercies. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.